Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. Cricket, cricket, cricket. It just keeps on coming. We're going to talk New Zealand test squad announcements, domestic rap, New Zealand versus India, the World Cup, Ashes series for the women has wrapped up today. West Indies playing India in ODIs and T20s. We've got a teaser for our IPL auction show next week. All coming up on the Top Order Podcast. Stay tuned. Pinksy here just cutting into the podcast. We recorded last night and went into ramifications of Resignation Gate, a whole host of stuff in This Week in Cricket, but did allude to the fact that the England squad to the Caribbean was going to be named over the course of the next 24 hours or so. And I've got to say, I'm absolutely livid. Uh, More and more mismanagement here from the ECB, in my view. We've got a situation where an interim selection panel, including Andrew Strauss, James Taylor, who's um, an advisor to the selection panel at the moment, um, I think Chief Scout is his name, um, have named what looks like an interim squad, a placeholder squad for the West Indies. They've talked about the managing director and new head coach um, being the people that will decide whether or not James Anderson and Stuart Broad get to continue their test careers. As far as I'm aware, none of them have intended or announced any intention to give away international test cricket. Um, So it must come as a bit of a shock to them. And have to think that Joe Root may also be culpable in this because surely he was consulted as to whether or not he wanted his two fast bowlers with nearly 1,100 wickets. And actually two of the best three bowlers on this disastrous Ashes tour um, on the plane with him to the Caribbean. For me, if you're picking an interim squad and you're passing the buck to the next guy that's going to make the call as head coach or managing director of England cricket, then surely you pick the side that actually is most likely to win some games in the Caribbean. The omission of Broad and Anderson, I have to say, um, I am absolutely... Uh, hot as a pistol this morning. I'm livid with this um, decision. It was a tour where the batting failed and failed and failed again to get to 200 runs and and certainly not even 300 runs on any occasion during that tour. Um, Absolutely recognise the need for a refresh, but how on earth you can go into the series with Mark Wood, who's been um, overbold and and likely to um, be potentially an injury worry, but playing Um, back-to-back tests and back-to-back series in in a relatively short space of time. Chris Wokes, who was just completely ineffective with the Kookaburra ball and uh, as much as he's been a stalwart of that one-day side and and quality with the Dukes ball in England um, as one of three players leading an England attack with a a cricket ball that's not going to be conducive to him overseas on, on flatter pitches. Um, seems strange and Ollie Robinson who uh, was really down on pace and has got some work to do from a fitness perspective as much promise as um, he shows and um, some changes to the batting uh, as well we won't go into that in a massive amount of detail the biggest one for me um, no Dave, uh, David Milan in that squad uh, we've got a call up for um, Alex Lees um, who looks like he'll open the batting with Zach Crawley and, and also I've got my wish of Ben Folks coming into the side but look, the overarching emotion this morning is is just anger. Um, the, the way that I think Broad and Anderson here have been treated. Look, it may come out in the press that they've agreed to to this and this um, uh, this omission from the squad. But um, at eight fourteen on Wednesday, the 9th of February, um, I am absolutely um, angry as a angry Anderson of, of Neighbours theme tune fame.
Well, first of all, boys, no Top Order Podcast Universe boss with us, Raj, ready missing from the recording tonight. But he has left a sheath of notes for us um, to cover off his opinions. So some of the stuff we'll cover will be Raj's take on the goings-in of the world of cricket at the moment. But we're going to start with news that's relatively hot off the presses. New Zealand announcing their test squad for the visit of South Africa um, to New Zealand. Um when does it all kick off? What are our initial thoughts? Um, Lippy, give us a little bit of a rundown. Yeah, so look, it's a two-test series. Starts on the 17th, I believe, next Thursday, New Zealand time. And I don't know, the squad, it's an interesting squad. I don't. I think there were, you know, kind of try and keep up with uh, the, the banter really on social media and, and have a look at what people's squads are picking. I wrote my own kind of squad down. It's They've named a 15-man squad because... Largely because of Omicron sort of hitting New Zealand here and, and I guess making sure that if people are going to be, they're not strictly in a bubble, but it's going to be obviously different circumstances for people coming in and out and stuff. So a bit of a wider squad and yes, certainly some names in there that uh, that I didn't expect to see. The fact that the, that Kane Williamson is is not in the squad probably is, is the first place we should start. Do you guys, I mean, do you guys have any worries I suppose about Kane at his long-term future I think that Kane now has injuries starting to pile up all on the same part of his body which is always a concern no matter what part of the body it is so for Kane the the most important thing that that he can do this summer and this New Zealand summer is to get healthy and to get in a position where he can stay healthy you know we've seen lots of great cricketers over the years Nasser Hussain had um, some elbow injuries over the course of his career as I recall some tennis Tendulkar as well yeah Tendulkar the same uh, that started to affect them in the back half of their career so it's not an uncommon injury for a top order bat but you know with the IPL coming up for him which I'm sure he'll also want to play for financial reasons and also for the enjoyment of it I hope that he can get back on the field and stay healthy for New Zealand long term because as you say, that batting lineup without Taylor and without Kane Williamson is there's there's one or two guys that are going to be relied on heavily to produce a lot of run scoring. And this squad is just for the first test, but have they given any indication as to how long Kane's likely to be out for? I know they mentioned that there may be a possibility to add to the squad for the second test match. Um, so the likes of you know Trent Bolt might come back in for that game. Maybe um, Lippy, you'll, you'll see Ajaz um, back in, in in New Zealand colours as well. But yeah, do we get a sense of how long Kane's going to be out for? Oh, I think he's out for or certainly out for the series. There's there's no indication that there's any chance that he comes back in. I I the word is that he's kind of targeting. You know, we did have that. Uh, Australian series but that looks it's not officially cancelled but I feel like that there's just no chance it's all that but, right. it's, it's all but cancelled they're not going to get MIQ spots for that Australian side the you know the quarantine procedure is just not going to allow Australia to come in for a five day series to play three three T20s and then chuff off home again and then make it worthwhile yeah. and, and you know they've got uh, the tour to Pakistan and plenty of other stuff going on so I just think that's not happening we could uh, you could say, well, he's he's targeting the uh, Netherlands three ODIs, but actually they kind of clash with the IPL. So I think that we we just aren't going to see Kane Williamson this summer in New Zealand shirt, which is is sad. I guess um, is probably the the main word there. I suppose from my point of view, really selfishly, I, I hope he doesn't play the IPL and just gets himself completely right for that uh, that tour against uh, when we go over to the UK. But I, I think that's unrealistic. I think in his mind, he's probably targeting the IPL as his return just 
given, as you say, Baldy, the financial ramifications there, which you can completely understand, and also... And it's it, a pretty good tune-up for a, a World fun Cup tournament. as well. It's a fun tournament. Yep. So the batting starting to look a little bit thinner now due to the test retirement of Ross Taylor earlier in the summer and now Kane Williamson out. Can you run us through some of the guys that are coming into the squad who are likely to see game time? And where do you think they're going to go in that order? Because there's some conjecture there. Yeah, so I guess probably 11 of those names kind of pick themselves. You mentioned it before, Binksy, Trent Bolt's sitting out. Uh, word is that he's uh, awaiting another child, so he might come back in for that second test. Same, you said the same thing about AJ's. AJ's not there. I think he probably would have been in that squad, but he's had a bit of a niggle himself with the calf injury. So he's looking to kind of prove his fitness in, uh, in a CD game, I think on the 20th of, of uh what are we in now? February. So if he can kind of prove his fitness, he'll probably come in for that second test because it's an interesting uh, scenario and one we don't see very often in New Zealand where you've got two tests being played at the same venue back to back. And so, you know, for a traditionally Christchurch, you just do not play a spinner there. It just doesn't really, hasn't hasn't offered anything for the spinners. I think AJ's might have played a test there from, from memory, but, you know, that yeah, it hasn't been part of our mo to to pick a spinner, but given the fact that you know you might be playing on to a worn pitch or, or to some degree, uh, then there's a chance that he comes back in for that second test. But back on the batting ball, there, I mean, I've gone sidetracked there. The two names that I guess stand out, probably the most surprising one, will be Hamish Rutherford. Uh, comes back after a long time out. He's been uh, still playing New Zealand first class cricket, but spending a lot of time over in the UK in county cricket and, and doing well there. I mean, I know when we talked to, to Ken last year, um, he was kind of saying that Hamish was still had ambitions for, for playing for New Zealand. I think he's only, saw today, he's only 32, uh, which kind of surprised me a bit. It's uh, There's still plenty of time left if you think about someone like Conway. Is, is probably not, I can't even remember how old he is, but it's probably not hugely different. But yeah, there's there's him and then there's, uh, there's Cam Fletcher who's come in as backup wicket-keeping cover. Both of those two are seen as cover from what I understand on the, on the media reports. So we're likely to see some combination of Daryl Mitchell in that middle order alongside Henry Nichols, Devin Conway. Maybe Will Young slides down to allow Rutch and Ravindra or Rutherford to open the batting. Otherwise, they might take Ravindra down the order as maybe a spinning all-rounder. Battling it out now with Colin de Gronholm, who's back in the squad as well, right, and has performed pretty well for... Northern Districts over the course of the season. Lippy, question for you on some players that maybe aren't on the on this list. Going back to uh, someone like Rutherford, who are the young guys that you know you think would have probably been certainly having their phone off silent for a period of time as this squad was announced and, and maybe waiting for that cheeky little text message, um, especially with a, an enhanced or a, an enlarged squad due to the COVID protocols that are likely to be in place. Yeah, it was interesting because I tried to I said to Baldy before the show. I tried to write down my own squad, and and it was once you took those guys out, and it's funny because we I remember a few months ago, and we were just talking about the amazing depth of New Zealand cricket, but suddenly you take a few out, and it's not like there's no depth, but it's that they're all sort of in a bunch. And if you look to that New New Zealand India series when we were over there, we had Glenn Phillips was over there as a, as a backup batter but I think that also was because of his spin bowling you think of someone who's been around the squad like Mark Chapman there's other players that have been in a New Zealand A kind of setups like Joe Carter and 
Henry Cooper and, and a few other names around there. Someone like George Worker, if we're going to think about kind of the Hamish Rutherford mould of someone who's had a little taste and coming back into it. But I, I think it's very hard to split all of those guys. And the fact that we've had a real dose of, of T20 cricket, it's been guys like Michael Bracewell and Dane Cleaver and Cam Fletcher who've been the shining stars of, of the batting. And it's it's whether how much stock you kind of put in that T20 stuff and how you know can you transition that into the the test stat standard and you know I think it does become really challenging. Picking that up, the 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 recent T20 Super Smash and also your favourite topic of spin. How close do you think Mitchell Santner was for forcing his way into that squad based on the performances that he had in the back half of the Super Smash, which were pretty impressive? Yeah, well, I, I, I'm surprised to see DeGronholm there. I, I do think, you know, I... So, I mean, let's quickly run through the side and, and the way that batting lineup might work. And I have absolutely no idea in terms of the way they'll structure their top five, four or five because you've got, in the mix, you've got Latham, Young, Conway, Nichols, Mitchell... Blundell and DeGronholm Ravindra is is who I think is fighting for that kind of seventh spot in terms of an all-rounder. And actually, I feel like DeGronholm, as much as it's been great to kind of see him start hitting sixes again and, and score a few runs, I do wonder that he's sort of still a, a one-pace kind of player. We're gonna, we know what we're going to get from DeGronholm. It's going to be if, if he comes off for us, it's likely to be attack. Whereas, actually, I think Santner has... It, it's a very small sample size. But I think if we're looking at all-rounders, and if you look at that side, I think I might feel safer if Mitchell Santner was batting at seven than, than some of those other guys. So I, I think he would have been in the conversation. But, you know, I I suppose they've probably gone, well, Ratchin Ravindra is really a like-for-like kind of player. Ratchin give us, gives us the option of being able to open if we want to completely reshuffle the order. We could put uh, Rutherford, we could move Mitchell into three, we could move people all around. We could move Nichols up to four, which seems to seems to be the, the most likely scenario, I think, trying to read the tea leaves, that they'll go Latham, Young, Conway, and then Nichols will just move up to four, and, and then you'll have Mitchell, Blundell, Ravindra, or DeGronholm. But it starts to, you know, if we think back to that Bangladesh series, and kind of the top order started really well, and then the back the back order just it fell away. And yeah, and it, it sort of felt like almost five out all out for that New Zealand side in that Bangladesh series. Yeah, as an outsider looking in, it it doesn't look as solid, obviously, as it did twelve months or so ago. You've obviously got the retirement of Ross Taylor, Kane out of the side. All of a sudden, you're looking at Latham, who goes a little bit under the radar. I think he is a world-class opening, opening bat. bat. 100%. Um, and we don't often talk about him, um, probably because he goes about his work in a, in a pretty um, circumspect manner. But you're now looking at Conway, who's relatively new to the international scene still. There's still that risk, and I've said it before, and look, I, I don't want to put the mockers on him. I know if Raj was standing next to me, he'd hit me. But, you know, th- there is that sort of sophomore season um, s- syndrome that could come up here where someone's kind of just seen a little chink in the armour. And if you look at who's coming over, that South African team have got a hell of a pace attack. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if it does spin, they've probably got you covered in the spin department. Well, with, they're going to pick one. So with Ma- Maharaj and, and, and Simon Harmer, who's yeah, coming out of sort yeah. of Colpack. Um, so he, he will play for Essex as an overseas player. Um, would have done anyway, but um, back in uh, South African um, colours. But you've, you've got to think he's travelling to Hagley just to kind of mix the Gatorade for a couple of test matches. You would have thought you, you, they're not going to play two, uh, two spinners. But yeah, it does look a bit... bit yeah, a little bit shakier than it maybe did 12 months ago. What what about the seaming? So we've got a call-up for Blair Tickner, who we've seen a little bit, went on that tour to Bangladesh, I think, with the white ball yeah, yeah. squad. Um, what what are our thoughts on whether he's a, a realistic chance of a Guernsey? Well, I think it's I think he's not in terms of uh, he'd need an injury to to come in. I mean, you've, you're looking at the Jameson Southey Wagner and then uh, Henry stepping in, who's sort of always been the the twelfth man for for a long time and and always the one who comes in whenever we we have a, a free spot, which always actually seems to be at Hagley. Seems to play a few games at Hagley, but you know I think we saw in the UK about how effective he can be at that level, and you know it, it'd be great to see him get a sustained run, but obviously that means that some, one of those other three or four bowlers who are really top class are, are, are going to be missing out, but. So I just can't. I can't see Tickner really getting a go, and especially when you look at uh, Bolt potentially coming back in for that second test, it's you'd think that it's Tickner then that that moves out. But again, it's an interesting selection in terms of just where it kind of ranks all the those bowlers in terms of the hierarchy, because we saw someone like Jacob Duffy who performed really well last season and earned himself a spot onto that UK tour has now fallen down the pecking order again, and and I think sort of justifiably unfortunately for him he just hasn't really had a very good season uh every opportunity that he's had to kind of I mean Otago hasn't had a good season which which I'm sure doesn't help uh when you when your batting's not performing as well then it's it's difficult to come in and, and lead the bowling attack but yeah I, I mean it, it's a great reward for for Tickner I mean he's been around and, and doing the yards for for a long time and um, they've talked about him coming in and, and being someone who can come in, hit the deck hard, and, and bowl a bit quicker, which is is what he does at the the with the white ball stuff when, when he's done that for New Zealand. But can sometimes prove expensive. But yeah, look, it's like you say. I mean, three months ago we would we would have written down New Zealand wins all four of these tests at home. They do it easily, and Bangladesh is coming here. They've got no chance. South Africa comes here. They're in a bit of a state. We, I mean, there's still stuff going on. Mark Boucher, we just don't know what's going to happen there. But look, New Zealand's never beaten South Africa in a series. I'm, you know, we'll, we'll do more of an in-depth preview on this next week. But yeah, it's, I, th- I think it's fifty-fifty, and it's going to come down to to which batting lineup probably can can put on the runs. We'll stay with New Zealand cricket. Another squad announced the New Zealand Women's World Cup squad uh, coming out over the course of the last uh, few days. Um, a mission for Lee Kasprick, which uh, certainly caused a bit of consternation. Yeah, I was upset. Yeah, um, on Baldy's Slack channel. So, yeah, thoughts on any of that, Lippy, Baldy? Well, I was I was just a little bit miffed because Lee Kasprick, I think, in the last three, what, three or four years in New Zealand cricket, domestic cricket, has been the leading wicket-taker. She's been, alongside Amelia Kerr, one of New Zealand's better bowlers from my perspective. I was surprised that she was left out of the squad because I would have thought that she would, have, at, at the very least, have been a steadying influence in and around the team, even if she wasn't in the best 11. So I was quite surprised and a little bit disappointed for Lee Kasprick to miss out. But, you know, the person that's coming in is going to is going to come on onto the scene on the back of some reasonable domestic form herself. Yeah, look, Fran Jonas is, is, is the one being talked about as the pick over... 
Lee Kasperick. Whether that's completely accurate, I don't know. You know, I can't can't look inside their heads. You've also got someone like Frankie Mackay, who's sort of a genuine all rounder in yeah. there, and, and bowls the offies as well. So potentially they were tossing up between those two and went, okay, we'd rather have the extra batting in terms of you know maybe the stronger batting and the weaker spin. Mm-hmm. But look, if you'd look at the pure numbers, there's, there's really no case for Kasperick not being in there. You know, Fran Jonas coming in. Kasparik has her covered in, in terms of international level, in terms of uh, for Super Smash, in terms of Halliburton Johnston. Yeah, the, there's really no comparison. But, you know, the, Fran Jonas spins it away from the bat, left arm offy, and they've got huge wraps on, on her. She's 17, she's an exciting prospect, and that they just keep talking about, you know, what energy she brings to that squad and, and the excitement that she can become as a player. Mm. And it may very well be that New Zealand have got their eye on their best 11 already and they feel like that having Fran Jonas in that squad is an experience for her to be part of a World Cup squad and be in and around the group and have that as a learning experience for future tournaments potentially. I think that in my view, I would rather have Lee Kasparik there ready for that sort of next person up mentality if someone goes down with COVID or with injury that you've got that next person there ready to go. So that was just my thoughts on that particular selection. But New Zealand are going to take a strong squad to that World Cup. They've got Bates, they've got Sophie Devine, they've got Kerr, uh, both Kerrs. They're going to be a, a tough squad to beat. Yeah, I think when it comes down to it, those four or five names that you you rattled off there, they're going to be the ones that determine the success of New Zealand in this World Cup. It, it's it's all going to come down to that. Well, I think Leah Tahuhu's going to be yeah. going to be influential in Australian conditions because she might get a little bit of pace and bounce out of those wickets and might be tough to get away. Well, it's in New Zealand, so uh, that oh yeah, the Australian prob- the probably have more of a more of a role here. If but- it was in New Zealand, it, yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> I forgot that the men's one was in Australia, the women's one was in New Zealand. I apologise to you profusely. <laughs> But it's just nice to see you come round on the fact that you, you picked the best squad for the, the tournament. You say so you wouldn't Casper it there, whereas all throughout the Ashes, it was a case of just getting someone out of the under-19s to give them a go and get them ready to open <laughs> oh, the bat you know, in look, 10 I'm years' nothing, time. I'm nothing if not inconsistent. I guess when you've already won the series, right? We've already You already know you're going to win, then you can start looking to the future. But uh... On a serious note, though, the, the women's series against India is going to be a little bit of a bellwether for this New Zealand side and how close Absolutely. they are to those big three New Zealand are going to want to get a result against India, I think, to be able to go, okay, we can mix it with the with the girls that are at the top echelon. India knocked Australia off their consecutive run of ODI victories recently in Australia. So it's going to be a great series to see where New Zealand or how New Zealand can compare to those big teams. Yeah, and that kicks off, uh, well, tomorrow New Zealand time, uh, probably by the time this podcast is, is out, it'll be uh, either the game will either be done or, or washed out. Weather doesn't look great for, for Queenstown tomorrow, mm. but... Um, yeah, looks 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 like it should be a really interesting series to see where we're at. Mm, and, and just for my benefit, New Zealand in New Zealand, not in Australia. Yes, Thanks New Zealand so much, playing too. India in New Zealand. Thanks very much. And yeah, let's just hope as well that potentially, I know we're exploring this option of a number of pods coming into the Women's World Cup. I've not seen any more press on that um, as yet. But there's, yeah. there's been a bit of chat around it for the tests uh, even as well for... Um, for New Zealand and, and South Africa. So I, they're certainly exploring those options and it's now starting to feel like, yes, we will start to see very small numbers of, of fans, but I mean, anything we can get in there is going to be better than nothing, right? Absolutely. Let's move to the Under-19 World Cup. Um, 
look great viewing I, I, through the course of the semi-finals. Nearly a couple of upsets. Uh, Australia almost beaten by Afghanistan in the third place playoff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then India and England in the final, which looked for for all money like it was going to be a bit of a damp squib at one point, but turned into an okay game of uh, game of cricket. Uh, anything that caught your eye throughout the course of the tournament? Well, we we previewed Radhakrishnan and he was man of the match in that third place playoff. Dismissed a better with a right arm off break and also dismissed a batter with what is known uh, in local circles as slow left arm oh, uh, no, or, or left not. arm orthodox. But he went, the, he, he went through the oh, game. Oh, like Amir Sahail? Yes, yeah, very okay. similar, but but with turn. But it's with turn, turn. Yeah, okay. With, with yeah. purchase. So, uh, look, he's got a big future ahead of him, as we, as we said. Man of the match performance made a 60-odd batting at three for Australia, so he's one to watch out for, as we said earlier. But Afghanistan just showing that they're a quality cricket side almost upended Australia to take that third place, and there's a lot to like about their development moving forward, and let's hope that they can get more cricket under their belt. No surprises, really, that that India came out on top. I mean, their depth and their their factory, their production line of, of quality first-class and international cricketers just keeps coming, and there's plenty of names to watch out for on that Indian side that beat England in the final. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, great for them. I mean, I think I saw that they uh, won 40 lakhs as a, as a prize. Uh, the BCCI gave them that, which... I started Googling how much that is, and it's about 80K New Zealand. So that's pretty, I don't know, I don't care who you are, that's a lot of money to just be given at a, at 18 or 17, as some of those guys are. I mean, some of them might now be going into the IPL auction. That's going to be an interesting watch, to see if any of those under-19 guys end up somewhere on an expanded IPL squad. Well, and even some of the players from around the tournament. So there's someone like DeWald Brevis, who from South Africa, who just smashed the, the record for a number of runs in the tournament scored 506 runs from six games. I think he could have scored 400s, got 200s and 290s. He's, you know, 120 runs clear of everyone else, beat Shikha Darwin's record. So, you know, someone like him, that they're already calling him baby AB. I'd love to hear uh, from any South African listeners who could tell us kind of the raps that were on him maybe before this tournament because, you know, I, I didn't know anything about him, but, you know, you see him play and at that kind of level and he's just dominant at, at that level. So, geez, if they can carry anything going forward. But, Binksy, what about uh, England? I mean, we've talked about a lot of their struggles. Is there anyone there that could have caught your eye and thought, geez, uh, I can't wait till till he makes it to the top level? Yeah, look, I guess it's interesting. I had a little look around and throughout the course of the tournament, not a lot of these lads have actually played too much first-class domestic cricket. You know, there is a still a pretty decent gap, I think, between the first-class game and these guys in under-19s. And kind of remember watching England's uh, under-19 World Cup victory many years ago uh, when the likes of Graham Swan um, came through, O.A. Shah was in that side. There was a few guys that actually went and made a living from the game, which isn't always the case. You know, a lot of these guys sort of disappear off the scene, but that, that team that England had, I think it was 1998 um, at least sort of eight or nine of them went on to have reasonable first class um, careers England continuing the trend of having lots of wicketkeeper batters in their side so uh, not only Alex Horton who wore the gloves and took a fantastic catch in the final yes. um, sort of goalkeeper style with, going with the wrong hand but also um, I think George Bell um, also keeps wicket and I, I want to say that uh, James Rue as well um, who got 95 off 116 in that final so th- there's a handful of players but the, the, the one that 
I was most um, interested in watching was actually, uh, you'll like this, a leg break bowler. Um, yeah, so Rahan Ahmed, um, who was entrusted in the semi-final with coming back on um, after he'd taken a little bit of tap in that semi-final and actually came in and, and, and delivered. Um, and there was, I mean, yeah, come, come back on. I think they needed 18 or something to, to win off two yeah. overs. And uh, yeah, pressure, pressure situation for a leggy to come on in that kind of scenario. Yeah, so look, absolutely delivered the goods with four for 41 in that game against um, Afghanistan. Um, followed up four for 48 against South Africa and four for 30 against the UAE and didn't play the first game. So um, we'll talk a little bit about England's selection woes, but they continue even in the under-19 um, sphere. So look, it was the best thing for me was just seeing how excited the guys were to be playing the final. Not a lot of fans in the ground. Um, for you know, for obvious reasons, um, COVID and and all sorts of other things, as well as you know, it, it probably not being as high profile as um, you know a, a, a full um, international World Cup. Um, but yeah, just the passion that the Indians showed when they won, but also England as they started to get back into that game, you you could tell that they really just you know believed that they had a little bit of a sniff, even though um, even though they didn't. There was a lot of come ons. And throughout that whole tournament, I think, yeah, it, it is cool seeing that excitement of uh, of youth, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Youthful uh, you know, exuberance. I suppose and, we can passion. say that now that we're, uh, we're a lot older about than double their age. Yeah, yeah look, <laughs> a, a, absolutely. A little more than double in uh, some of our cases. We'll move on to the Ashes series. So this time last week, we were talking about a fantastic finish to a four-day test match at the Manuka Oval. Uh, England taking a little bit out of that game in terms of the series still being alive and uh, whether or not there was any momentum. Um, but yeah, a little bit like their male counterparts. It's kind of ended in um, disaster with them getting pumped 3-0 in the one-dayers, Baldy. Yeah, Australia have been pretty dominant in this one-day series against England. I mean, we just have a look at the, the most recent example in that third ODI in Melbourne. England all out 163, having started not that great, two for two for spit, but, you know, Skiver and Beaumont resurrected their innings and then, just like the men did, they, they got themselves into a position where they were able to compete or in, in a chance of going ahead in the game and then Australia were able to come back and then roll through that England side all out 163. And then, you know, ever since we bagged Elise Perry, is she is she in trouble? Should we be concerned about the the form of Elise Perry? Just a nice nice little red inker, thirty one knot uh, to go with Meg Lanning's fifty seven knot in Australia. You know, thirty six overs in one sixty four for two. So yeah, you know, player Australia- to mention that that second game as well. Yeah, yeah. she's bounced so, back. So that that Australian women's side have still got it. You know, that little blip against India, notwithstanding, they've continued their dominance over all comers. And look, the the only thing that we, we that we maybe need to watch out for in the next three or four months is that you know Healy, Haynes, Perry. Um, I think you could throw Meg Lanning in there. Beth Mooney is probably slightly younger, but they're all of, of the same age, maybe 31, 32, somewhere of that ilk. And, you know, we might be we might be a World Cup away from, from one or two or maybe even more of those players, um, you know, bowing out from that Australian side. That remains to be seen. They might they might go on for a lot longer than that, and I hope they do. Um, but, yeah, that Australian side is, is probably towards the back end now of a golden era of, of women's cricket and Australian cricket in general because they have been so dominant. Yeah, the the good thing, boy. Yeah, interested to get your take on this. Is that there's a handful of younger players coming through. Uh, yep. Tali McGrath really impressed. Annabelle Sutherland, I think, is only twenty years old. Another leg spinner who got big raps actually, and probably didn't perform as well as all the chat was Alana King. Um, certainly bowled, you know, okay. I think in um, some of the T20s, um, but yeah, d- didn't really. I don't think have the impact that mm. um, the pre-series chat had. But your house in pretty good order for that World Cup. Yeah, absolutely. You could throw Redmayne in there as one of the players 
players that are up and coming, and Darcy a lot Brown. of the, yep, and and a lot of the bowling is 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 young. You know, Darcy Brown's reasonably young. Uh, Vlamink, who's going to miss that World Cup with an injury, is is there or thereabouts. And you've got Jonathan Molyneux. Um, Wareham and now now Alana King as well so there's plenty to like in the bowling we need to find a batter or two but uh, Redmayne looks like it should be the goods well let's move on and talk West Indies India ODIs and T20s before we also touch a little bit on the upcoming IPL auction so yeah thoughts on that series I guess strange that the West Indies have literally finished a series against England and and Barely before I could turn over my TV, they they seem to be um, back on Sky Sports, um, but playing yeah playing against India. It's weird, isn't it? I, yeah, it's and then they go back and and play England in this Test series that uh, that England squad's going to be announced pretty soon as well. It's yeah very very bizarre. And I mean we we don't have our West Indian correspondent here, so I have to have to admit that we're not as uh, clued up on this this latest ODI as as we might have liked. I, I uh, spoke to Raj earlier today about the game and, and he was raving about Sharma. Just said he just looked unbelievable, was completely immense in that game and and really just, you know, really put them above. And, and I suppose he's just such a class player, Sharma, when he's batting mm. at, at his best. And, you know, we've I, we've missed him a little bit lately in the Indian side. And, and it kind of got me wondering, like, I don't I don't feel like I have any idea what the top Indian... Uh, ODI side is because it doesn't really matter though <laughs> they've got so many they've got like 30 players that they could pick I mean in this game Deepak Huda batted, uh, Huda batted at what one two three four five six for India and then Sundar Shakur and then the bowlers so you know they've got any one of a, a plethora of options to go into that um, Indian middle order and they've got plenty of cover at the top of the order with players like Ishan Kishan Surya Kumar Yadav can bat at the top of the order Virat hectic as his innings was, can still bat at the top of the order. And then you've got all the other guys like, you know, Gil, uh, Shikadawan, all, all those guys. So, look, it doesn't really matter what their what their best 11 is. And I don't think, actually, if you surveyed 100 Indian cricket fans that you would get anywhere close to a consensus best 11 uh, for India for all conditions. I mean, you just have a look at that side there. There's no Jadeja. Uh, there's no Shreyas Iyer. Um, there's no Hardik. There's no Krunal Pandya. There's a whole bunch of guys missing from that team, and yet they still managed to get a win over the West Indies. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I, I tried to do a bit of deep digging because I kind of, you know, started thinking, who is the who is this best side? And, and I wanted to find the answer. So I started looking at some numbers, and since... 2020 kind of trying to find out who stands out for for India in those ODIs and I mean interestingly enough they've only played 16 games and they're one of the sides who's played the most ODIs and that's in two and a, two and a bit years New Zealand played seven ODIs you mm. know it, it's sort of just the almost way, isn't unthinkable it? five years ago that we were talking about playing 16 ODIs in two years whereas two you know three or four years ago you'd be playing 16 ODIs in a month almost <laughs> yeah. in, in your summertime you know yeah, yeah, but for India, the the stand, I mean, the standout batter on that list is is Shikadawan, who you just named before. You know, he's averaging fifty eight at that point uh, through through those games has played. You know, he's been one of the ones, I suppose, because he doesn't play Test cricket. That when they go away and they don't have some of those Test guys, he's sort of been the mainstay he's in the that man, side, yeah. and and you know, taking a leadership responsibility in, in some of those lineups, but. Actually, running through those numbers gave me a very clear kind of top six or seven who I who I did think. And you go Shik Darwan Sharma, 
KL Rahul, Coley, Punt, Pandya and Jadeja. And, and they were certainly the standouts in terms of, of averages. There's someone like uh, Surya Kumar Yadav, who you mentioned, but who, who does who has played very well for them, but has only played three or four games. Mm. But the, the, the other thing that really stood out was the fact that the bowling has just been such a problem. And, and we talked about it in that South Africa series in terms of their ODIs. And I, I don't have a clue who they would pick as their bowlers in, in terms of uh, you're trying to you know probably put four more bowlers into that lineup when you think that Pandya and Jadeja can bowl some overs as well. But Chahal is the, the clear standout, actually, when you look at those numbers. He averages 31 with the ball, which was... Aside from aside from players who played only a f- handful of games, that was actually the best average since 2020, which still seems like a lot. Is a worry, mm. but you know, look, let me just run through a few more. You've got so Chahal 31 at an economy rate of 5.7, but then from then on, it just gets tr- they've either got a terrible economy rate or a terrible average. So Shami 33 average economy rate of seven, Shardul Takur average of 41 economy rate of seven. Bhuvi Kumar, 42, at an economy rate of 5.8. And then the the really bad ones are Boomerah. So average is 62. And I, I think that's been the big criticism that, you know, he's your strike bowler and he's not – people are being able to kind of see him off. Mm, he's not j- striking. No, no. He's the one that's supposed to come in and knock the top off. And that's such a crucial role in the one day is that, at the moment. And it, he's just not doing it. Mm. Yeah. And I guess that's look, part of the – I guess the metamorphosis that T20's created in ODI cricket, it's actually probably seen a little bit more patience in the 50-over game Mm. where sides will just see someone off and go, do you know what? You can go for 30 and almost we're okay with that because there's a guy or a couple of guys that we're going to be able to target and and potentially take down. So... um, yeah, you can't just play your you can't play your fifth bowler that you make up out of two or three other bowlers now because everyone just goes well we'll just take a hundred off those ten overs. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And, and the West Indies, um, obviously jet lag aside, you know a tough ask for them to go and play in those conditions, especially. Uh, you mentioned Baldy Chahal um, having a massive impact on this game along with Washington Sundar. Mm. Um, I'm reading from Raj's notes, so I won't pass these off as my own, although I tend to agree with him. Um, Jason Holder, what a, a couple of months he's had from being not on the plane to that T20 World Cup. To, and sacked from the captaincy. And sacked from the captaincy to have some absolutely fantastic performances, including four and four against England, um, a couple of decent bags and 50-odd in this um, game as well. So you know, he's looking um, every inch a, a guy that you're kind of inking into that lineup. Oh, but, 100%. Um, but yeah, look, I, I think I'd just say Sharma's, yeah, Sharma's innings, it was, it was, I just love him. He, he is, for me, He's a three-format player. He's, you know, he's Billy Bean's dream, isn't he? Um, he's, <laughs> Absolutely. He's, he's got it all. He, he, he runs, he throws, and, and, and he hits as well. Yeah, does it all Rohit Sharma, doesn't he? Oh, I want to focus on this West Indian team for a little bit because there's a lot to like about some of these young players going up. As we talked about, you know, Brendan King is starting to show a lot of promise. Shamar Brooks has got a reasonable reasonable average now in, in, in one-day cricket. So there's there's guys coming into that batting lineup that are starting to fill it out and starting to make sure, well, not make sure, but starting to push guys like Shimron Hetmeyer 
out of the side and making him really earn his place in the team, which is really good to see. I mean, you have a look, there's no Dre Russ in that one-day side as well, and you've got a couple of bowlers to come back into the mix when fit. I would expect Romario Shepard to be in there moving forward, but, you know, Fabian Allen, Alzari Joseph, lot to like about him. And then you've got, you know, the experienced guys like Darren Bravo as well, who I think some of these young players are really starting to knock on the door and might even push him out of the side. So there's a lot to like about West Indies cricket moving forward, but, you know, as it is always with West Indian cricket, it's got to be preparation meeting opportunity and then fulfilling that potential moving forward to see some real growth around Jason Holder who's been a stalwart for a long time and uh, you know we're touching on India we can't really uh, not talk about the IPL auction that is coming up uh, in a a few days I think the 12th and the the 13th of February Uh, I I think you know we're gonna we're gonna do a a full preview of that show Uh, next week we'll talk about you know what actually happened but uh, from a New Zealand point of view I'm very very fascinated I suppose what's going to happen with some of our players we've obviously got Conway uh, who we talked about last week as someone who uh, is now in the IPL auction for the first time and and someone who I think you know being very biased has a lot of is a lot of strings to his bow for for someone that to pick up and you know he can keep he can he can bat in the middle order he can bat at the top he can he can do a lot of things so I'm fascinated to see how he goes. Mitchell Santon is another one who I really want to see go somewhere where he gets an actual opportunity. He's been stuck on the CSK bench for a long time and someone who's been you know quite near the top of the T20 world rankings but just can't get a run because of uh, the other quality spinners that they've had like Moe Nali in, in recent times and, and Jadeja who obviously their skill sets cross over a lot so I'm really hoping that he moves away from that and gets an opportunity. Kyle Jameson is someone who we've seen step away from the IPL auction like a few of the English players um, so I, again kind of absolutely thrilled from a New Zealand point of view that he's decided to to do that and put his, uh, his international opportunity and really work on some stuff um, because I'm sure we might talk about that when we in our next episode when we talk about the great resignation and, and what's going on in Australia and England and the fact that those those you don't get many windows at the moment to go away and work on your game. So, yeah, really, I feel like that's a really mature decision from Kyle Jameson to, to go and do that and put his international stuff in, and uh, ahead of his, uh, ahead of money. So, yeah, stoked with that. And, yeah, a few Kiwis who might get a big some big money there as well with, with Bolton. Lockie Ferguson at, at big base prices. So, yeah, stay tuned next week to see how it all unfolds. Yeah, and look, I jokingly said earlier on, we'll co- cover it live from the auction rooms. We, we certainly won't be able to do that, but we will be uh, watching with bated breath. The one thing I'm really interested to see is actually there's several players that would go for big coin um, but are injured at the moment. So uh, I think in the likes of Kane Williamson, will he play a full part in that IPL? Joffre Archer, you know, is a big one, is he, he going to be, you know, is he going to be fit? But players will get picked up even if they are injured because this is the big auction where, um, you, you know, you're signing those sort of multi-year deals. So particularly with the fact that COVID is going to have an effect, I think on the game for at least the next year, um, maybe, you know, a little bit longer than that, whether we, you know, what sort of tactics we'll see um, around that, um, it, yeah, is the thing that I'm really looking out for. Yeah, reshaping sides completely. Yeah, so. a- Absolutely. 
Well, look, I think that just about wraps up this episode of the Top Order podcast. And as Lippy alluded to, we will be talking about the great resignation which is happening um, at either end of the earth. Um, We've got Justin Langer and then a whole host of um, shit going on in the ECB boardrooms as well, um, which will be in your feed a little bit later in the week. Um, But for now, it's good night and good bless from us all here in Auckland. We'll see you soon. 